So we are in uh, Romans 10, and we've been working all the way through the book of Romans. And in chapters 1 through 8, what Paul has been doing is he's been laying out the defining, this is what the gospel is, and this is how it changes us. This is what the gospel is, and this is how it changes us. In fact, uh, one of the things that we've seen throughout this process is that, is that there's no way that you can believe the gospel or accept the gospel and it not change you. And, and we're going to see in the coming weeks that not only does it change you just on the inside, not only does it change the fact that you go to church or other things like that, but it changes everything about us. It changes the way that we view relationships. It changes our culture and our society. And it should, through the Christians in the church, be changing the society around us. The gospel changes us and then it changes everything else. And, and then as he gets to chapter 9 and chapter 10 and then chapter 11, what, what Paul does is he kind of pauses for a second. He says, all right, if this is true, if the gospel is true and it does, it is good news. That is, by the way, what the gospel means. It means good news. If the gospel is good news and if it has come to us and it changes us, if it is such good news, then why haven't more Jews believed it? He's, that's what he's asked. He's the question that he is answering. Why haven't more Jews believed this? If it's such good news, why haven't more like jumped on board with that? And that's a good question for us to ask. I think as American Christians, it's a good question for us to ask if the gospel is such good news, why don't more people believe? If the gospel is such good news, why don't more people in our society believe? Uh, by uh, This is an interesting kind of dichotomy that, that we see that the church is always growing. There's more people who are becoming Christians, who are being saved every day. And yet we also see the stats that say in the United States of America, the number of people who profess faith in Christ or who associate with Christianity is shrinking. If Christianity is true, if the gospel is such good news, why aren't more people believing? And, and I think it's a good question to ask, not only just about the society around us, but it's a good question to ask about the church itself. If the gospel is such good news, then, then why do Christians in our society seem to be have such a weak faith? This has been interesting stats that have uh, exhibited right here in this room and wherever you are watching this. A guy recently did a, a study and he asked people who self-profess that Christianity is an important part of their lives. So people who say that Christianity is central, important to their lives, out of people who, are, who profess Christianity is an important part of their lives, how many of them are still participating in worship in this COVID pandemic situation where we have to be socially distanced, many churches are not meeting at all, you have to meet at home, many of us are meeting at home out of concerns or out of health issues or scares or even here, it's not like it normally is, like I'm looking at you guys wearing masks and you're separated, it's just not the same as it used to be. And, and he, he asked the question, in that situation, how many of you are still participating weekly in worship with your local church? You know what the number was? Across America, the number was 33%. One in three professing Christians who say that Christianity is an important part of their life are still worshiping weekly with their local church. 50% of them said that they have worshiped with their local church in the last two months. That's just like one time logging in, watching by delay, or being in person. Only 50% in the past two months have worshiped with their local church. If the gospel is such good news, 
If it is really so good, why do people seem to fall out of the boat so easily? Why does American Christianity seem so weak? Why does there seem to often be so little difference between the church and society? And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage that, that Paul has in Romans 10, 5 through 21. And we're going to see how this passage answers that question and how it applies to us. So let's look at it. Let's start with verse 5. Romans 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about, look at this, uh, my glasses. So Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So one of the first reasons that Paul is going to, we're going to see it kind of roll out, trust me for a second, why more people, more Jews and more people in our society, more Christians or self-professing Christians, why do they so few seem to believe and so few seem to stick to it? The first thing he brings up is Moses writes about the righteousness that is based in the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, we have to cover the term righteousness because he's using it here, and it's not a term that we use. I don't know about you, but it's a, not a term that most of us use in our everyday life. So we have to try to figure out why is Paul talking about righteousness. It's a, it's a theme in Scripture, and I tell you what, this is, it's also a theme in your life. You may not use that term, but it's a theme in your life that underlines almost everything that you do. The root of the word righteousness is an uh, Arabic word that means straightness. And uh, it, it is always connected with relationships. So, so here's what righteousness means. It means that to be righteous means to be in alignment or straight with the will and the commands of God. It means that I am in relationship with God because to be in relationship with someone always means that I'm aligning myself with their will and their commands to some extent, right? Every person in here who is married or in a serious relationship or has ever been in a serious relationship knows that that is always involved in a serious relationship with somebody else, right? It is this dance of aligning myself and them aligning with, with me and my will and my commands and them with their will and their commands. It's us aligning together. It's what it means to be in relationship, right? It means to have alignment with each other. I like you, to, to the extent that I like you and trust you is to the depth of relationship that you and I can enjoy. And to be righteous or be in righteous standing with God means that I am straight or I'm in alignment with God's will and God's commands to me. It's connected with relationship. And see, we were made to be righteous. We were made to be in alignment, in straightness with God's will and with God's command. It's how we were made to be in a proper relationship with which, which to be in a proper relationship with God means that my relationship is one of worship and submission because God is God and I am not. To be in proper relationship, to be righteous with God means to be in a relationship with God that is one of worship. That means seeing that God is of ultimate value and worth and I'm ascribing that worth and value to him and I'm submitting to him as God. I'm by very nature of a relationship with God, I'm saying, I am not God, you are, and so therefore I must submit to you, I must worship you. And so then, when we as human beings aren't in righteous relationship with God, which none of us are by birth, then it creates a righteousness vacuum, if you will, in our life. 
Because we were created by God to find our identity from our alignment with him. That's what we were created to do. You were created to find your identity, who you are. And that's what we're all searching for, right? Like, who am I? What am I gonna be known for? What am I about? We're always looking to find my identity and value and we find it in something, right? We find it in our career, we find it in our education, we find it in how cool we are, we find it in relationship, we find it in fashion, we find it in uh, social media, we find it in all kinds of different ways. Me, it was my athletic prowess. So I was never very righteous. I was never very, I never had a very high identity, personal identity. But we find our identity and a value in something, and we were made to find it in our alignment with God. And when we were removed from that, it creates a vacuum, and we will seek to fill that any possible way that we can. And so all of us, all human beings, here's the driving force behind almost everything that you do, is to prove yourself, is to promote yourself, is to make something of yourself. I wanna prove myself, I wanna promote myself, I wanna make something of myself because there's a vacuum in my soul, I'm not in right relationship with God, that, that righteous standing of me worshiping him and submitting to him is gone, so therefore I have to find my identity some other place. And here's what God did, as we, as human beings, through Adam and every single person that has lived since then, has tried to find our righteousness, our right standing in some other place from him, God put a great plan in motion to bring us back into righteous relationship with him. He chose Abraham and he made a people for himself. He showed his sovereignty to those people. That's what the thing that David was talking about the past two weeks. He showed his sovereignty, his power, his rule to those people by choosing Abraham and choosing the Jews who had come from Abraham by his own choice to show his sovereignty. To those people, he showed his mighty deeds. He delivered them from Egypt He provided for them. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. He rained bread from heaven. He led them by a cloud by day and fire by night. He let... He brought water forth from a rock. He, he, he caused their, their, the sand, the shoes of their, their shoes never to, to wear down in the desert. He created, he brought them into the promised land. He destroyed their enemies. He brought them into the promised land. He did incredible mighty deeds for them in order to show his power and that he was worthy of worship. He gave them his law in order to show them how to submit to him in his nature and his character. And that law that he gave them through Moses, you guys have seen the movie, he comes down with the two, the two slabs, right? Moses came down from the mountain, slabs written on, slabs of, of rock written on directly by God himself. He came down from the mountain and this is what God said. He said, do this through Moses. He said, do these things and you will live. Do these things and you will live. Not just like, obviously, like breathe in and out. We are already breathing out. But he said, do these things and you will really live. You will, you will achieve what it means to be in right standing with me. And all that comes with that will flow again freely to you. He said, do this and you will live. But the problem was nobody ever did it. And nobody ever has. Because see, 
what the law was supposed to show the Jews and was supposed to show us as well isn't do these things and you will live. It's supposed to show like if you could do these things, then you would live, but you can't do those things because so therefore you will not. And what's supposed to show them is the problem with you and that you and I have isn't a doing problem. The problem isn't that you need to be a better person or do better things. The problem is a being problem. The problem is at your heart level, you don't want to follow the rules and commands of God. You don't want to worship him. You don't want to submit to him. You don't want to admit that he is the only one worthy of all value and all worship and all honor. You want to retain some of that for yourself. I want to retain some of that for myself. I want to pretend that I can be a Lord and not him. At least if nobody else listens to what I say, at least I can be the Lord of my own little circle of my own life, and we're always fighting and pushing each one of us against each other, trying to assert our lordship over ourselves and over the people around us. The problem isn't a doing problem. The problem is our fallen, sinful, rebellious soul. That's the problem. We can't do righteously, do these things and live, because we can't be righteous. We are already out of righteous relationship with God. See, trying to to live by our own righteousness is is like uh, filling a car with gas when the battery is dead. Yes, the ga- the the car needs gas to run, right? I mean, if you were to like have an argument with somebody, like, "Hey, I'm filling the car with gas, so that way this car can go again," like you would keep you would win the argument, saying, "Can't you admit that this car needs gas?" Yes, but it will not run if the battery is faulty. And us trying to make our own righteousness, live a righteous life, earn our, our own right standing, our own identity by doing, whether that is obeying the rules and commands of God or by going out into the world and trying to prove myself, promote myself, make myself feel better about who I am, proving myself to the people around me and to myself. It never fixes the problem. It's like duct taping I love duct tape because I'm not very handy. And so therefore I I can't like do things correctly the right way. And duct tape comes in very handy to make things happen that should be done another way. And if I take apples and I duct tape them to a dead tree, yes, apples are supposed to hang from the tree, but they're not growing from the tree. If they're duct taped on there, it doesn't fix the problem. It's a messy solution and it's temporary at best. It's not gonna work the way it's supposed to work. And when we go out and we try to do our own righteousness, it will fail every time. When we try to earn our own identity, it will fail every single time. Look at verses six through eight. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What he's saying is, don't say, that, hey, I'm going to prove myself by doing God's law or some other way proving rightness by doing some great things. But what does it say? Verse 8, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul's saying there's two different ways of building, of, uh, of attaining righteousness that we're all looking for. You can do It's the the righteousness of doing. The law said, do this and you can really live. 
But every attempt at manufacturing our own righteousness, which is what it's doing, when we're trying to obey the law of God on our own, or we go out and try to promote ourselves, prove ourselves, in some way prove that I am right, that I am in right standing with my, even with myself, that I'm, that I'm good, that I have identity, that I have value. When we, when we do those things, we try to manufacture our own righteousness, we either become pi- pious hypocrites, that means I, conf- I profess with my mouth that I'm doing the right things, but my life looks very different. Or we bring the, the, the standards of God down so low that they can no longer be recognized anymore. We bring them down, which is what the Jews often did. They would bring the laws down. They would, they would interpret it, say, well, this is how God said, you know, don't do any work on the Sabbath. So this is how you don't do any work on the Sabbath. You can take this many steps and you can do this many things. And if you take, you know, one step more than that, now you're working. If you do this, it's okay. But if you do that, it's not. they're trying to, to figure out, hey, how, what can we do in order to have right standing with God? And we bring the standards down so low so they're not even recognizable anymore. And what that does is it puts us into a religious stupor. It dulls our hearts and minds. Because I profess with my mouth, if I'm thinking about the law of God, I profess with my mouth, I'm doing the right thing. I'm following after God. I'm performing rightly. And I tell everybody around me, hey, I'm, I'm living righteously. I'm living rightly. But yet they see I'm not. You know what happens? It puts me into a religious stupor. It lulls me to sleep. I'm convincing myself that everything's okay when everybody around me sees it's not. And so your wife and your kids and your friends are always telling you the, the things that you're doing and you're always defending yourself to them. You always have a reason why they're wrong. You always have a reason why, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm doing rightly because you're trying to to, to preserve this sense of righteousness on your own. But then the problem with that is that when we try to live a life of doing, to earn our righteousness by doing, the negative side of the law also applies. He said, do this and you will live. What's the negative side of that? If you don't do this, you won't live, right? And so always it creates in us this sense of inner frustration. It, it creates in us a sense of personal superiority. I look down on the people around me because they're not doing what I think righteousness is. And, and we're always under the condemnation of God because we're not doing enough. We can never do enough. But he says, the righteousness based on faith. He's contrasting two types of righteousness. The righteousness based on faith doesn't try to make itself by doing. It accepts and submits to what has already been done. It says, I can't prove myself worthy, but Jesus has proven himself worthy. Jesus, the son of God who came, lived a perfect life, He died a death for me. He rose again. Jesus has proven himself worthy of all honor and all glory and all power. He has proven himself worthy of all praise and all honor. And he, not only has he done that, but he's taken my right unrighteousness on himself and he has transferred his worthiness or his righteousness, his right standing with the Father. He's transferred that to me. He's offered that to me. The message of Jesus is saying, stop trying to make your own worthiness. The word is near you. 
It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. The way we respond is only by accepting what he has already done for us. Why did more people not believe? Because we want to prove ourselves by doing. We want to prove ourselves with this by thinking we're doing the right thing that God says to do. And that falls on many people who carry the label of Christian. You know what's keeping many of you from actually believing in Christ, actually trusting in his work on your behalf? It's your own goodness or what you think is goodness. It's your own ability to keep the law. It's just all the things that you do. It's how many Sundays in a row that you've been to church. How many times you go to community group. How often you do your quiet time. How much better you are than the people around you at work. Your voting record. None of those things put you in right standing with God. None of those things. Right standing with God is not provided by a voting block. Right standing with God is provided by accepting and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf alone and saying, I have no worthiness to bring to the table. That is the first step to freedom is accepting you have no worthiness to bring to the table. Christ alone is worthy. God alone is worthy of worship and his son, Jesus Christ, is alone worthy of praise. Not you, not anybody else, certainly not me. What's keeping people from believing? It's doing rather than accepting. It's doing rather than believing. But also what keeps us from uh, believing is we trust our own lordship. Look at this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, verse nine, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Why didn't more of the Israelites believe? It's because they wanted to create their own righteousness, but it's also because they wanted to be their own Lord. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And that's your problem and my problem. It's because we want to be our own Lord. We want to call our own shots. Do you see that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's no such thing as believing in Christ as Savior and not submitting to him as Lord. There's no such thing. There are many people in churches all over the country and all over the world who come to church and like to hear about Jesus who filled in the gap to pay for their sins. And kind of what we think about is like, hey, I kind of do 80% well and Jesus kind of fills in the other 20% that I kind of fail in. And so we feel pretty good about that. We hear somebody preach, we sing some songs, we go home, we feel better, but we do not submit to Christ as Lord and that is not believing in Christ. There is no believing and throwing ourselves in trust upon Christ because that is what believing is. It's throwing ourselves humbly, face down, prostrate, trusting upon Christ and his worthiness and not my worthiness. It is confessing him as Lord. 
It, is, it requires obedience. You see that in verse 16? It talks about the, they have not, all have not obeyed the gospel. To hear the gospel and believe the gospel, intrinsic in that is also confessing Christ as Lord. It's submitting to him as Lord. Trust and submission always go together. And if you carry the label Christian, or you think that you're a good person, and you do not submit daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to Christ as your Lord. You know what that means? That means he is the king of your life. It means he calls the shots. It means you start the day in your heart or physically bowing down to Christ and saying, your will be done and not my will be done. What do you want me to do with my life, Christ? I want to follow after you. I want to hear what you have to say, and I will do that. And yes, there are bouts, there are times, there are weeks and months where we try to run the other way, but there is no such thing as salvation apart from submission to Christ as Lord. If you believe in your heart that he is Christ and you confess him as Lord, you will be saved. They always go together. Why? Because the problem is not what we do or what we say. It's that heart problem, that relationship. And by necessity, to be in right relationship with God, to be in right standing with him, means submission to him as Lord, as God. It means that I am worshiping him. What we're not talking about, and we've heard about it, I've heard it in church for many years, and what we're not talking about is a magic incantation or formula. If you just say Jesus is Lord, it will sort of feel like it's like a, like we're closing an Amway deal. If you, no offense if you're an Amway, but if we're closing an Amway deal, hey, if you'll just sign this line, like if you'll just say he's Lord, you'll be saved and go out of here. Everything's okay. But if I just say it, if I just, as a throwaway statement, and it's not coming from my heart and from my soul, then we have placed false confidence in many people's hearts and lives who have just checked a box on a card or come forward for an altar call or repeated a prayer after somebody on television or online or in person, and we've told them everything's okay now, and they leave, and nothing looks different. And if you are in that situation, I, I call you today. If there's no difference in your life, if you in your heart do not submit to Christ as Lord and have fully fallen upon him and trust and belief for his righteousness and not yours, then you are not saved. Believing and obedience always go together. To hear and believe, which is all that's required in salvation, is incredibly simple, but it's also incredibly humbling. Because I'm bowing down and admitting that I can't do something on my own. And I'm admitting that I can no longer be the Lord of my life. It's incredibly humbling. It's incredibly simple. The word of faith is in your heart and it's in your mouth. It is near you. And yet it is incredibly humbling. And that's why many don't believe. That's why the people around us don't believe because at the core of Christianity is a gospel that is offensive to those of us who want to run our own life and prove our own righteousness. But yet to those who come to the end of our rope and see that I have no worthiness and no righteousness to offer on my own, it is a beautiful thing. 
And it's why there's such a shallow, I believe, why such a, we have such a shallow and fragile faith in the American church. Because we've turned following after Christ into easy believism. Check this box, say this prayer. Perform these duties, go to church, read this Bible, everything's okay, your conscience can be cleared. And we lower the standard of simple faith and simple submission. We can bring nothing to the table. He brought it all. And see, that's the core of the problem that, that, that Paul is dealing with here in Romans. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all believed the gospel. For Isaiah says, and he's talking about the, the Jews here, remember? The people who had the word of God, the people who had the law of God, the chosen people of God. So how much more should it make us quake? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Look how simple it is. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's available to everyone. It is readily and universally available. There is nothing that you have to do to prepare yourself there's nothing that you can do to clean yourself up. There's nothing that you have to do to get to Christ. He has come down to us. He has accomplished it all for us. And the word of Christ is then proclaimed to you. It falls upon your ears. And all that is required is simple faith and trust. It is available to everyone. There is no distinction Whatever life that you have lived, I grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church. I've been a really terrible person. I've lived a good life. You don't know where I've been or what I've done. You don't know where I was last night, where I was this morning. Without distinction, it comes to everyone. It comes to Mother Teresa. It comes to Billy Graham. It comes to the murderer on death row. It comes to the murderer who is in the moment committing murder. It commits to the adulterer who's still laying in the warm bed. It comes to every single person without distinction, without qualification. It comes to every single one. Simply repent and believe. Simply accept and fall upon Christ. God promises, not only does it come with no distinction, but God promises that he will respond. The God of heaven, the God who holds all power in his hand, the God who created the universe and holds it in existence, the God who sent Christ and raised him from the dead, that God who owns all power, he promises, if you do this, you will be saved. That is a bedrock for the Christian to sleep upon. It is the promise offered to every single person in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our sin, without distinction. So why don't more people believe? Why don't they, why don't you believe? Number one, because they don't call out. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. That's all that's required. A call and a cry for help. You know what Paul says here though? He says they can't call if they haven't heard. And they can't hear unless the gospel about what Christ, who Christ is and what he has done is proclaimed to them. And it can't be proclaimed to them if it, no one has been sent. You know why many people don't call out? Because they can't call out. Because they haven't heard the gospel. The people around you, have they heard the gospel? Has your family heard the gospel? Not heard some watered down version, not heard some version that says do lots of good things and you can come or vote in this voting block or come to this church or check these boxes, but a simple gospel that says simply believe and confess. Have they heard? Some can't call out. Others won't call out because they don't see their desperate need. Did you hear that in that passage? How beautiful are the feet of those. The feet of those who preach isn't beautiful unless you see that you are in desperate need. I've been at many pools through my life and they have that kind of a circle lifesaver thing floating on, you know, sitting on the, the fence beside it. That's just, that's, that thing is nothing. I see it every day that I go to the pool. But it's nothing until I'm drowning in the pool and it's tossed to me and then it's beautiful. The reason many of you don't see the gospel as beautiful, don't see Christ as worthy, you don't love God and love Christ, you don't call out to him for help, is because you don't see your need. I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit of God would open your eyes to see your need. Stop building your own pitiful righteousness and believe and confess in him. You're hearing the gospel preached to you. Lastly, Christian, he says here, the word is in your mouth. But he also says it's in your heart. My question is, is it in your heart? You carry the label of Christian. Is the word that is in your mouth that you profess, that you say that you believe, that you read, that you, that you sing about whenever we gather as a church, it is in your mouth, but it is, is it in your heart? Having been justified by faith, are you trying now to make your own righteousness? What righteousness are you trusting in each day? At the end of the day, do you feel as if, if you did a terrible job at being a Christian, do you feel that you are less than now or does your heart respond in greater worship? Yes, repentance, but greater worship to Christ because of his worthiness that covers you. The, every day that you see more and more of your sinfulness, are you more and more trusting him and thanking him and worshiping him for his worthiness on your behalf? When you rely upon your own righteousness, your own doing, the joy of your salvation will darken. Christ will seem further away. Your sins seem bigger. He seems less, less worth it. Everything seems to just darken and dull. Many of us are lethargic spiritually because we've forgotten how needy we are. 
and how beautiful Christ is to those who are drowning. So here's what we all can do today. Call upon the Lord. Wherever you are, stop right now and call upon the Lord. The non-Christian today, call upon the Lord and be saved. For the Christian, call upon the Lord and remember his beauty and your need for him. Remember your desperate need, but remember his all-satisfying power to save you and to fill you and provide everything that you need for life. We continually need his righteousness and we must continually submit to him as Lord. That should continually stir us and refresh us at the same time. I'm going to pray. And Dale is going to come up and lead us in communion. And we're going to celebrate and remember our unworthiness and this beautiful salvation that is offered to us in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that each of us here in this room and watching online would, would hear the word of Christ. God, not my word, not even me parroting the word, but they would hear through what is being proclaimed. They would hear Christ speaking out to them and calling them. And that they in turn would call out to you. God, we are unworthy and yet Christ is worthy for us. God, we are not Lord, but Christ is. Awaken us to that. Awaken us to the joy of our salvation that is found there. God, let us see not just the beautiful uh, feet of those who preach the gospel, but God, let us see the beauty in the one the gospel points to, Jesus Christ, the beautiful one, the worthy one the glorious one. It's in his name we pray.